0: Peace, y'all. We're taking a break this week from the usual format of the show and bringing you all an episode focusing on something near and dear to me. A couple weeks ago, I was part of a panel discussion at the Martin Luther King Jr. Library in downtown D.C. entitled Go-Go is D.C. History. Now, I know there may be some listeners out there who are unfamiliar with or don't even like go-go music, but if you want to truly know what it was like in D.C. during the 80s and 90s, listening to this episode is a great place to start We talked about five different go-go songs spanning 20 years, all to connect the dots of the city's past, present, and future. Sit back, turn up your headphones or speakers, and get this quick history
1: lesson on D.C.'s most original art form. You won't be disappointed. Exemplary lead talker of the what band, and what else would you like to say about yourself?
2: I'm a native Washingtonian, and I've been a fan of this music uh, long before I became an active member I'm honored to be here among this distinguished panel. Thank
1: Fabulous. you. Fabulous. And uh, this is uh, Nico Hobson of GoGo Radio.
3: GoGo Radio Live. GoGo Radio <laughs> Live. Okay.
1: And uh, what else would you like to say about yourself as far as an introduction? Just um, the owner of uh,
3: uh, GoWin.media, Media, which is uh, the parent company of GoGo Radio Live and WinDC Radio, which is uh, for independent artists and entrepreneurs. But uh, uh, GoGo Radio has been my baby for uh, seven years now, and long before that, I've been involved in the GoGo industry uh, for a predominant part of my life.
1: Right, so I'd say if you actually wanted to hear GoGo music after this panel is done, that you would want to talk to Nico and you want to listen to uh, GoGo Radio Live. Cause no doubt. Probably the one place in the world, I'd say, that still regularly plays GoGo music on a daily basis 24 7. There it is okay so okay so we're starting back in 1980 in washington dc where washington dc was 71 percent black and 27 percent white kind of different than where we are right now but it's important to start the conversation here and it's not to be racial it's not to be difficult it's not to be confrontational but it's just to state facts so that we could start from a place of facts and we could start to get into and pull out the beauty of this music i'd say that uh, Go-Go music is uh, something that's inherent to DC because it's soul, it's R&B, it's jazz, it's hip-hop culture inspired, it's underground, it's punk, it's funk, it's reggae, and it encompasses all of that into one unique sound. It's uh, driven by a pocket rhythm, correct? That is, is one of the funkiest sounds you'll ever hear. So you're going to hear 5 songs tonight, 5 of which I'll get into as we go through this. For people who are go go fanatics, is
3: showing a film called which social part. Okay.
1: Great. So we're doing that too. <laughs> and uh, so and we're going to look ahead and I want to give people something to think about as we look ahead into this. Uh, by the year 2000, DC's population was 6% black and 31% white. And by the year 2014, 46% black and 40% white. So you're looking at a shift that has occurred over that period of time. And there are numerous things that occurred during that period of time. There was, uh, you know, there was issues with gangs, issues with drug abuse, issues with violence, issues with incarceration. But it's also a time where when you talk about D.C. in that area, you're talking about the area of Mary and Barry. Mary and Barry, the four-term mayor of Washington, D.C. I see everybody smiling Who's a native Washingtonian. Because for as much as people say negative things about Marion Barry, this is a man who literally provided jobs for not just my mom, and probably not just your mom, and probably not just your mom too, but for a ton of people in Washington, D.C. In fact, uh, and when we start this conversation in around 1986, he said that he had created so many jobs that he didn't know how many jobs he had created. He said that it was impossible to count through general mathematics how many jobs he had created in the nation's capital. So this is a strange and unique time for a, the nation's capital to be in. We're looking at also the era of Ronald Reagan living right down the street. You know, one of the most you know, noted, you know, Republican presidents of all time. He's, and he's in office and you're looking at that and you have all of these numerous things that are occurring. So that's all happening. And people have music. They have go-go music, and go-go is the the sound that drives the city, even still to this day. And uh, there's no better place to begin, I think, than at the beginning. And so the best place to begin when you talk about go-go is with Chuck Brown, Chuck Brown being the godfather of go-go, uh, someone who, by this era, 1986, he had just recently had a big mainstream surge with a song called Bustin' Loose and for the young people in the crowd or just rap fans in the crowd. That was the uh, song that was kind of the underpinning of Nelly's uh, Hot in Here. Everybody? Nelly? Nelly? Nelly fans? Nelly fans? Okay, good. Just make it sure. Just make it sure, right? Because, I mean, you, we've all been through this conversation before and we have to tell your non-GoGo fan, friends about Nelly's Hot in Here. Right, yeah. Exactly. Just make it sure. And uh, so I want to play a song that he released in 1986. It's called We Need Some Money. And that was the thing. We were just out of a recession in America. We were just out of a recession in D.C. Mary and Barry's giving people jobs. And if there's anything that we needed, we absolutely needed some money. Brown, the Godfather of Gogo. That's we need some money. So the, the funny thing that I came across when I was doing research for this thing was I noted that Robert Christgau, who's this noted rock critic, when he talked about Gogo, because everybody talked about Gogo at some point, Gogo by 1986 was kind of a thing, kind of a indie underground surging the mainstream thing. And when he talked about busting loose back in 78, 79, he said this about Gogo. So I just wanted to frame this because this is wild and hilarious to me in a lot of ways. He said that Go Go is sort of like a field recording, a completely unpretentious document of what sort of originals a modestly gifted, modestly gifted, funk soul dance band might be doing, and it's very likable. Robert Kreiskau. In any events, I wanted to start the conversation talking about what was going on in 86, what was going on as far as, you know, your thoughts about Chuck, just any memories and just kind of like what was going on if you saw him play during this era and just wanted to get a sense of D.C. in and around 1986.
4: Well, yeah, um, Chuck, that was, I believe, his first uh, big record after Bustin' Loose. Uh, after Bustin' Lucy came off tour and they were around town, but I think the band kind of took a break. Came back in 1986 with that record, strong record. As soon as uh, I heard him play that record live, I heard him play it live before he recorded it. As soon as I heard the record, I was like, "He has another one." That's another one right there.
1: Um, what is it about? What is it about it
4: that makes it a hit? Well, it's, it's the beat, and as soon as he hit the record, the, the entire crowd responded. That's how you know. Right there. As soon as he went into the beat of the record, everybody, needed, everybody responded. Then he started talking about, we need some money, and everybody needs money. So uh, that record really connected with, with the audience.
1: Right. So where were you
4: living in '86? I was living in D C, Northeast D C.
1: Where about, where in northeast? What neighborhood?
4: Um the uh, uh Minnesota and Benning Road over that way.
1: Okay, cool. I grew up I grew up on Eastern Avenue over by Dingwood okay. Metro Station, right, so right. I'm right around the corner from you. Yep, right cool. there. So so what was going on? What was happening in the streets? Like what was it what was it like? Well, I
4: mean the streets were the streets were, were rough at that time, uh due to the drug addiction and drug violence and all of that there. Um but go go in the streets were very popular it was there was nothing to see 15 20 bands playing around town different neighborhoods different parts of the city right at so, that time yes. i mean because there were venues all over the place for us
1: right so i mean was the chateau still a venue at that the point?
4: chateau was still there
1: right chateau chateau like just closed or something the Chateau, by the way, is on uh, Benning Road. Benning Road, right so there. So if you Benning go Road. all the way down H Street, so everybody's going down H Street, say you're, you go to Sticky Rice or you go to Maketo or you go wherever, and you keep all the way down H Street, like all the way towards the bridge, there's a venue that's like right next to like the, the Shell, right? Yeah,
4: yeah, right before you Yeah, go, right get before to you get bridge. to the
1: Shell, there's a venue, it's called the Chateau. The Chateau hosted... Go-go events and hand dancing.
4: Hand dancing, cabarets,
1: bunch of stuff. Right, yeah. So, Michelle, you're a lead talker. So, talk to me about Chuck on this record.
2: Okay. Uh, well, first, uh, I wanted to um, to go back to something that he spoke about when he talked about the different genres that influence go go. He named rap. He named um, hip hop, R and B, jazz, uh, reggae. But um, one um, that was left out, I think, is is, is, is really central to go go, um, and that's African. Yes. Um, because um, you know the the percussion. Uh, in go-go is really it's its its heartbeat in every sense of the word the drums, the congas um, and now the rotatoms and timbales like these these are the things that the, the essence of go-go is really um, locked in its percussion and and that is um, intrinsically African um, not just um, the percussion um, aspect of it but the call and response and there are just many um, aspects of go-go that uh, will uh, give you Um, a a lot of African vibes so um, it's a part of of our culture that I believe that um, transcended any sort of uh, um, attempt to uh, uh, erase a lot of what it was that we had when we came here, um, when we were brought here rather, and so I think it's important for us to acknowledge that African music is also um, very much interwoven in the fabric of this music. Um, But to answer your question, uh, you know, Chuck Brown... Talk to me about Chuck,
1: baby. Right. Chuck Brown,
2: actually, when I was coming up, used to play at this venue called The Black Hole. Um, It went through several different names. Um, Celebrity Hall and The Black Hole were the main two when I was coming up. And the two bands that I went to see there uh, was Chuck Brown and Rare Essence. And so Chuck Brown, um, to teens then... Um, as well as where essence is kind of a, a rite of passage you know because no. every every sort of neighborhood had their own you know bands and but they were like the big three and Chuck well, Brown what was the band Rest. in
1: your neighborhood where'd you grow up number one
2: um, I grew up in Upper Northwest uh, where in
1: Upper Northwest Upper
2: Northwest um, near um, Calvin Coolidge Senior High School on Van Buren right off between Piney Branch and 5th Street is okay. where my house was so
1: you're going all the way up towards Silver Spring
2: yeah and so uh, we had like Petworth Band and like a uh, uh, oh, my goodness, I can't remember where. Gogo Mickey actually played for one of the bands. I'm trying to remember the name of it. Reality. Reality Band. So they were kind of, uh, uh, you know, the up-and-coming bands back then, or, or the, one of the neighborhood bands, as you could say. But if you're talking about the ones that uh, were sort of the marquee bands, um, Chuck Brown and Rare Essence. So I used to go see Chuck at the Black Hole, and uh, <laughs> it was, it was, it was, um, it was amazing, actually, because uh, outside of Busting loose, uh Chuck Brown really introduced my, my generation to a kind of music that we never would have been exposed to had it not been for, been for him with his jazz standards. Yeah. Moody's um,
1: uh mood. Right.
2: Those kind of songs we've never been exposed to had it not been for Chuck. So Chuck kind of gave us a sophistication, um, even as teenagers, that... Uh, uh, we wouldn't have had so we owe you know a lot to that. Yeah.
1: So I wanted to ask them about like sophisticated records and being in a black person in Washington D.C. There's a le- there's an era, a level of sophistication that's really important to this era, I think, of feeling like you had something. Like I don't know if that's just me and the way I was raised. No. I- I think
2: DC, um, in and of itself, I was told. I was yeah, told yeah. a while ago. Um, I was told many years ago uh, that DC was very cosmopolitan uh, as far as African and African Americans. Um, when you go to um, and, and, and when I traveled outside of DC, I was always told um, that we sort of had a certain way about us. That, and I think that's um, um, due to the fact that, of course, uh, uh, we were so. Uh, You know, there were so many of us here. When you go into New York, you go to other big cities, you know, it's not necessarily mostly black. And also, too, because, uh, you know, this is a government town. And although I know we went through our recession, you know, government is an industry that's not necessarily going to be affected by that. So we were still kind of flourishing, even going through what we went through during the 80s, um, during the cracker and all that. We were still flourishing in our own way. So I think we were still able to uh, maintain our own level of, I guess,
1: dc-ness
2: right? sophistication in that in that regard yeah and um and uh we had a music renaissance going on there i like people talk about the crack air and all that kind of stuff that was going on in the 80s and that's absolutely true but there was a music renaissance going on and during this that time weird as well
1: dichotomy right. happening so why don't nico and tronimo to talk about the legacy of this record then because 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 we're about the same age g so like I was eight years old and I was unable to go to parties. So like, the only thing I knew is whenever, Chuck burgers were always related to my mother wearing perfume and wearing five inch heels. That's all I knew that like initially, that's all that Go-Go was. It was like, my mom's going to the cabaret. Some guy's gonna pick her up. She's gonna put on five inch heels. She's gonna play this music around the house. And then she's gonna come back at two o'clock in the morning. Like that's all I, that's what I knew initially of, of Go-Go. And that's why it was Chuck and the, the sophistication. But if you, got, if, if you two guys want to talk about the the the, the legacy of that record, because I know that Nico, you must play it about 100 times a hundred times a year, at least minimally.
3: Well, I, I don't I don't want to be difficult, but from what I remember, and yeah, Dre, Dre, please correct me if I'm wrong. But when I remember when Money came out, um, I believe what preceded that was Back It Up, and then um, and then Money came out. And then after that, was Live at Crystal Skate, which was 86, okay. 85, 86, because um, I believe that came out around the same time. Cause I, uh, Donnie Simpson really broke that and made that a real big hit on KYS. Right. So around that time, it was around the same time when uh, Len Bias was murdered and all of the, during that period of time. So prior to that, I believe Money was like 84, 85, because... Yeah. Uh reason why I remember that is because certain records that came out during that time. Uh I believe it y'all was playing um uh uh sh- Should be the Right. Uh, uh, sh- yeah, yeah, sh- should be the What. Uh Shooter Rob That Bottom came out around that time. Um 'cause around eighty six the BPMs changed for bands playing. They kinda slowed down. Right. And um so back it on up and, uh, and, uh, and Money was like a, a much faster tempo, you know. Um, so, you know, Gogo was played a little bit differently uh, prior to 86. It was, it was a lot faster.
1: Right. So, I mean, that's the thing, though. It's like Gogo I feel, has gotten slower in a lot of ways over time. Well, uh,
3: I mean, it's just just you know, it just, as anything, in, you know, music and times, you know, things just change with time. So you know, uh, they've they've sped up, gone down, sped up, gone down. Where now, you know, you got a little bit of a, the trap beat that's kind of right, like popular right, right now. Uh, prior to that, you know, uh, DJ Screw had made that kind of popular. You know, uh, down down in Texas, and it uh, kind of you know moved its way up. You know, so. Um, you know just just different things you know and cultures you know influences music and vice versa
1: exactly so
0: yeah. just to, um i can relate with you um i'm actually a few years younger than you when this song came out i was about four years old and um my i don't remember this hearing the song but i remember the city at that time my sister who's much older than me um she had just moved over to parkland in the southeast. And um, I'd stay with her, me and my family, we lived in uh, Oxon Hill at this time, Oxon Hill, Maryland, in PG County. And um, I would stay with her on the weekends, and I remember just the neighborhood she lived in, Parkland being right off of uh, Mississippi Avenue, where, um, if y'all are familiar with the Arc, um, right near there. um, I just remember how fast everything was moving from just like, the kids my age to like the older guys outside doing what they were doing you know whether they were hustling or just being outside and that song was just really representative of that just like how Nico brought up the Faster pace of Go-Go at that time which I do remember um, but I think it really represented just not only that but also the time frame we were in everybody was just looking for like just trying to make some money man trying to make some money trying to
1: get it so I mean,
0: I to, you know you, you. I, I I
3: believe that also re- resonated around the Reagan period as well, and so it was it was a lot of um, the reason why Marion uh, uh, Marion Marion Barry was so popular at that time because he brought hope to a lot of the people that was here in the city because of what was going on around the country, and um, which. You know, uh, like one of the other songs we're getting ready to play. Um, Literally about
0: to play it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Yeah. <You>, perfect,
3: perfect. <laughs> so you know yeah. that when junkyard came out with the word, you that's know, next,
1: by the way. Junkyard's the word. Yeah, <laughs> no. So,
3: so a lot of that kind of like resonated with the people because the times were hard. Right. You know, so uh, when money came out, you know, it, it just kind of like it was, it was, it was a go-to song. You know, especially for DJs. You know, uh, so they was like, well, you know, because they knew that people, you know, when you when you play a song, you want it to resonate with the people who they can identify with it. You know, and it, one thing about that that particular track is, you know, I don't care you know, what the era is. Everybody talking about it, we need that money. But, you know, when Chuck was talking about I could squeeze on it to to the Eagle Grins, you know, because things were tight. Right.
1: Don't need things no were real tight. or American Express. That's right cash is the best yes. yeah, yeah. right
3: without a doubt
1: right so uh so we're, we're gonna you know continue this 1986 vein and also talk about the fact that there were guys from new york city coming down to dc to come into the go-go parties that was a thing i mean we could all agree right like everybody knew that there were like guys like right
4: yeah, absolutely. We we met a lot of them.
1: <laughs> right. So one of them <laughs> no was Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin from Def Jam Records. Rick, Rick Rubin who's you know produced Jay-Z, Johnny Cash, uh, the Beastie Boys I can we can name people he's produced forever. And uh, a, a thing that he was really into was go-go. And uh, at some point Def Jam wanted to release a go-go A-side B-side, cause, you know, punk things. And uh the thing that they decided to do is they released uh, an A side, B side of A. The A side being "Sardines," which is a legendary go-go song, and then the B side was a politically themed go-go song that talked about the fact that Ronald Reagan was making bombs and that people in the hood were getting food stamp money. So I'm going to play this song. It's called "The Word," and uh, it's. Really, it's one of my favorite Go-Go songs of all time. And I think that uh, if you haven't heard it before, it'll probably end up being yours once you hear it. that off because the word the the that that's just there you go thank you but uh but yeah so I want to talk about I want to talk about the junkyard band because the junkyard band are incredible in the sense that when you think in reality these are guys from the Berry Farms housing projects who started a band when they were between the ages of eight and thirteen years old. I don't know what everybody else was doing when they were between the ages of eight and thirteen years old but were you making songs like sardines and the word and doing that with your life or were you playing video games? I was playing video games. But in any event, uh, this is a group that by the time that they released the word, they were between the ages of 14 and 21. And uh, again, it's a song that's political, but it still jams and you can still play it in a party and people still dance to it. So uh, I want everybody to kind of jump in on this one because I feel like this is a song that has a lot of history to it and has a lot of, like, importance to the community of D.C. at the time. And uh, I think that it, you know, like, getting it out to the people and letting them know kind of like where the city was at when this song hit is very important.
4: Well, the fact that they recorded the record with buckets, cans, and boxes is one... There it is. ...very important uh, 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 fact there. They made those things sound like uh, instruments. which was which was that was good. I don't think they meant it to be a gimmick. That's what they had. That's all they had mm-hmm. in the in right. the neighborhood. But it ended up working for them. Um, and uh, that was I think that was the really uh, intriguing intriguing part of why Rick Rubin and, and uh, Russell Simmons wanted to work with them, because they these kids were making music on, on trash, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know. But it sounded great. Right. You know, it, 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 and they were drawing crowds everywhere they were. So. Right,
1: so where were they playing at that point?
4: They were doing a lot of uh, rec centers. They used to do the Barry Farms rec center all the time. Um, uh, and uh, different uh, school uh, auditoriums. They were playing.
1: I think yeah, I want everybody. They
4: used,
3: used to play right down the street.
2: I was about to say, they, they played outside too. Just yeah. for, for money, actually.
1: Um, right for the uh for for tourists so like right for tourists i would say malik the dope drummer is not here he was supposed to be here because i was going to point at him and say there's a lineage from you to them but he's not here but if you look up malik the dope drummer he's a percussionist who literally plays yes you know malik yes you played for malik yes that (laughs) is
4: spot Mm -hmm. on that is spot on right there
1: and he plays everywhere literally everywhere for for money and he's amazing and so yeah i just wanted to bring that up but uh but I wanted to talk about the importance of rec centers to go-go culture. Yes. Because, I mean, how many of you live near a rec center right now in your communities in D.C.? How many kids do you actually see go to the rec center in your community in D.C. right now? Right. So let's talk then about what rec centers were actually <laughs> doing in communities in 1986.
2: Well, I grew up um, at the street from Tacoma Rec. Okay. And um the and, and, and not just rec centers, but the the, the environment um uh, when Mary and Barry, um because I, I also wanted to, um, um, to touch on him really quick while we're talking about the jobs. It's not just about the jobs he created. Like there was an environment that was friendly to um to go go in the city and
1: also friendly. He was a go go fan. He chose go goes, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And friendly to children. Um, to, to the youth in the city. And so uh, he made it, uh, he made it. Okay, he, he he made he made it um, he made it accessible for kids out here that wanted an outlet to have a, a, a way to do that, and that was a lot of that was through music, and and a lot of that happened at, at these rec centers, and we used to always and not only rec centers block parties, um, um, a lot of bands used to play outside during the summer. Um, he had the summer youth employment program, but part of that was the showmobile. My first job. The showmobiles used I. to used to be outside in the bands. How about would yours,
1: play. Nico?
3: No that was, i was I was throwing papers that was <laughs> that was my gig i was- pu- I was pushing that Washington post around
1: there it is
2: they were instrumental out and also can I, to, to speak on that song The Word yeah, anybody, anybody that remembers around that time um, hip hop had released a song similar Grandmaster Flash The Message right. um, so that was kind of what was going on back then and it was sort of this uh, people have to understand too around in, during the 80s with this influx of drugs into um, all these different communities um, Reagan at the same time his whole administration and their culture personified uh, materialism and, and and um, wealth.
1: And so, and, right. and so. It feels uh, oddly familiar. Right. You know, I'm just saying. Right,
2: but people don't, people forget that when the Reagan administration, when, when he came into office, it was all about getting money, spending money, having this, name brand this, name brand that. That's kind of Et cetera, of et
1: cetera, get, in a cashmere sweater.
2: R- right. Jackson, so that's chest. where all that came into play. So, um, uh, you know, you had it, kind of had it where people were in poverty and the ones that were uh, out you know, hustling to, to, to make money, to make ends meet, they were also um, spending a lot of that money to keep up with the Joneses and be fly, because that's kind of what it was about back then was um, kind of being flashy and, and showing what you had. So it just manifested that way here because it's go-go, but it was the same way, I'm sure. In New York with hip hop, because that was their their outlet, and this was
0: ours. So,
1: right. So I mean, like, yeah.
0: you want to get you to on this real quick. Um, well, I want to say two things. Um, as far as just like the politically charged um, nature of the song, like, this was one of the my earliest memories of a politically charged song that I I heard. You know, um, it's funny that this song came on went after I talked about. My sister in the first song. My my brother-in-law grew up with them in Berry Farms, and um, to this day, he put on a junkyard song. He he gets happy. But, um, you know, I being somebody, I didn't grow up in the city like a lot of people. I grew up right outside the city, but um, so my life was a little different. But this was like really my first insightful introduction to what it was like to live in the hood. And for that reason, you know, I think that that set the tone for the compassion, versus where a lot of people I grew up with out Maryland, they didn't have the same compassion to, you know, what struggle was like, because they didn't experience it, you know. So for me, I never really, I never saw the need to look down on somebody because, you know, they might have had less than me, they made it, they might have grown up in harder circumstances or what have you. So um, I wanted to say that part first. As far as the rec centers, um I think rec centers we always instrumental, as everybody's already said. You know, um, even for me, my first live experience with GoGo was at a rec center. You know, what I, mean? I mean, of course, it was years after um, the word came out, but like my who'd you see? I oh, was some Maryland band. <laughs> 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 it was, it, it, I mean, um, it was a it was a band called um, it was a band called uh, Jigaboo. The Jigaboo Band. Okay. I went to high school with them. Um, I was 14. They were seniors at the time um, when I was going to Oxon Hill High School. Um, so that was the first band I ever saw. Saw them at um, the Rec Center in my old neighborhood, and I saw them at the uh, Staff Development Center around the corner. You know. Um, so that was my first Rec Center live go-go experience. So,
1: Nico, let's let like, let's talk about the word, man. Right?
3: Well, first of all, I'd like to give credit to a good friend of mine. Me and um, Jerry's, uh real good friend of mine, who wrote that song, Mo' Shorter. Um, he, he should get all the credit. He was currently, uh, I believe, I'm not sure if he was full-time manager. His uh, original manager was Derek McCray, but uh, Mo' Shorter was the actual writer for that song. Uh, John, they was young, as they they didn't really know the. I'm pretty sure they didn't know the full impact of that song at that time when they was performing it. So. Uh,
1: so you mean to tell me somebody? Uh, this is uh, the best part. of talking talk to Nico. By the way, is that he'll say things about Gogo that he just knows as like information. He's like the literally the world's foremost Gogo authority. Is sitting on the stage right now. I, I would say that. <laughs> I, I, I'll say it for you because that's why that's why I called you for this. That's why I called you because I know. And it's like you'll say things, and I'm just like, wow. He'll just open up a whole new world. So you mean to tell me he wrote this and yeah. they just sang it? Rap
3: it. Well, I mean, he was their manager, right? You know, so it was that was a natural transition, you know. Here, you know, you know, y'all play this right here because um, Mo, if you ever knew Mo, he's a very astute dude, very astute, you know. So, uh, and, and it's talking to him, he loves talking politics, you know. So it was that was you know second nature to him at that time. So um, I just I just want to make sure that you know people know that uh, when. When that song came about, that he was a major component of that. Uh, other than the fact that you know, Junkyard made it what it what it is well, to today. To yeah. Well, I'm just saying, you know, as far as to actually putting a pen to paper on it. Yeah. But um, right but um, but uh, as far as going on it in '86, at that time period, uh, I was actually uh, uh, getting ready to go into the military myself. Um. And but I do remember when that 12 inch came out. What was what was major to me is coming down on F Street. And uh, cause like I said, I, I was you know kind of like a part time you know DJ back then. Um, and uh, I used to remember how the record stores was really affluent. What,
1: what F? Is this the F F here? Or? F, that's
3: right. This is F Street right here. Okay, so yeah, literally
1: down the street. It was I a, this growing it, up. Like
3: it was like, a really yeah. affluent area, you know, down there far it was, it was, it was The Wiz, um, Kit Mill, uh, Douglas Records. Um, I don't think Waxy was on the strip, though. I don't think it was on the strip. But, um, but what was good about uh, Douglas, they actually had a DJ in the window, you know, they used to spin for you. And um, I actually met uh, Heavy D he had jumped out at Lemo and uh, he came out and, uh, and he was coming up in there. Just rap
1: legends just roaming yeah. the streets of Washington, D.C. Yeah. by the way. This is like uh. a perfectly normal occurrence, right?
0: Yeah. Well,
3: yeah, I mean, yeah. at, at that time, see, in D.C., he wasn't necessarily a legend to us. He was just another dude. Because right. Go-Go was king back then. You know, so he it was. It
1: again, just to make sure that people, were, like, Well, Go- Go-
3: that. I mean, just Go-Go was king. Go-Go ruled D.C. You know, I mean, period. I mean, it wasn't, hip-hop wasn't the thing it is now, you know, a multi-billion dollar conglomerate. You know, uh, it was, it was, it had its impact, you know, to where, you know, people noticed it and, and, and liked it, but it nowhere near the influence. I mean, it was just a drop in the bucket compared here, because Andre would tell you, you know, if you was a hip-hop artist and you came behind a go-go band here, that was the kiss of death. You know, uh, especially after these cats. You know, they, they 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 would make sure that was the last thing you wanted to do. Cause I remember at the cap cap center. Uh,
1: Google
3: Live uh, concerts, right? Well, well, I'm talking about before before Google Live. Okay. When uh, when DMC, LL Cool J, Houdini, you remember all of them, Dre? When they came here, and uh it was an issue. They didn't. Uh, I believe. I believe it was LL had a problem. with coming behind the go Band? Public enemy. Public. Okay. Okay. Well, and, and and that was that was my band right there. But I didn't I didn't really get into them until later on. But that's that's another story. But at that time, I mean, to come behind the go Band, like I said, it was just, it was a kiss of death. You know, because a lot of times they were either the crowd would have an attitude with you, or they would just simply just walk out on you. You will have, have, have less of a crowd there. You know, so uh, Go-Go um, was, uh, was definitely king,
1: okay, definitely so king. we're going to go to the next song now. And I want to like frame this correctly. We just literally talked about the word uh, right song, there, I mean. my man. So yeah, Jesse Titsworth, ladies and gentlemen, good man. But uh, so yeah, so we're in this point now. where We're talking about 1987, 1988, 1989. In Washington DC between uh, 1986 and 1990 there was a 144% climb in uh, murders in the city from uh, 194 homicides in 1986 to 474 in 1990 it's literally the most violent year in Washington DC's history Uh, it was a really tough time here I mean everybody can agree everybody who was living here in 1990 it was literally uh, people people were fearful to go out into the streets, but at the same time, in that same era, uh, you had things like Spike Lee was doing a movie about black colleges, and he wanted to have a Go-Go song on the soundtrack, because as we've said on this panel, you can't actually beat Go-Go. Like Everybody who was up in New York is like, okay, our New York rappers go out of DC, and the Go-Go bands blow them off the stage. And also, Gogo, as you've talked about, Michelle, when you talk about, like, going, we talked about this earlier today, when you go into, like, college towns, especially historically black colleges and universities, those towns, Gogo acts were massive draws. Like, still are to this day, massive draws. So in order to make a relevant and powerful and impacting movie about historically black colleges and universities, you had to have go on the soundtrack. So the song I'm going to play is by... A uh, veteran group at that point, they had been together for about 10 or 15 years, I think. band called Experience Unlimited, a.k.a. E.U. They had this baritone voice frontman uh, named uh, Sugar Bear. And he's one of the most iconic, you'd say, frontmen that we have in the go-go genre. No doubt. Right. And so uh, I'm not going to hold this back anymore because then everybody wants to hear it now that I said it. I'm going to play the butt by E.U. Which, again, is one of those songs that, much like The Word and much like We Want Some Money, is a song that you can't forget ever, the first time you hear it. That I feel really, really bad about turning off a song. Fast the fight by EU. So uh, let's let's talk about Washington, D.C. on like the global stage. This is like 87, 88. So like Marian Berry is like the most like amazing black man in the world. And we live in Washington, D.C. where there's like crime and violence, but there's also like, you know, for pockets of the town, like good money being made. Like, you know, my mom, she got, like, a car at this point, And it was, like, the biggest thing that ever happened in my life because it was, like, suddenly we could go to places like Virginia, which were, like, foreign countries to me. It was, like, wow, I can go to Front Royal. This is astounding. Like, it was just crazy. So I was, like, D.C. was this crazy place to me because my mom worked for the D.C. government. It was, like, wow, like, we are on to something. But at the same time, I had, like, you know, my, my friends had, like, crack addicted nieces, nephews, uncles and you're just like, that, that's terrible so there's this dichotomy and then you have this movie that comes out where Go-Go's the soundtrack and it's like a number one billboard R&B song, so like, I'm gonna start with you because you're in a band at this point and you're still playing the same gigs and then all of a sudden this like whole thing like goes bananas
4: yeah I <laughs> really want bananas, yeah um, but it was great for the entire genre, and we kind of recognized that. um, That on the stations outside of D.C. that wouldn't play go-go, now all of a sudden they wanted to, you know, listen to it because of the butt. So they broke that ground for for most of us around here. Um, Sugar Bear, um, and then when you actually have the group to go to that town and perform and you actually are in the go-go, that's when it really hits you you know you get caught up in the atmosphere of uh with the band and the club and and, and interacting with the audience that's when it really gets you so they open they kick that door open by
1: uh out there with the butt yeah so like who wants to go next talk about D.C., let's I, yeah,
2: talk about I was the area, speak let's speak talk on, about the book. I was going to speak on something that uh, only sort of someone that grew up and, and was sort of outside, because I was outside of the industry at that time. I was strictly someone who was just going out to, to party at the Go-Go's. I right. was going to Go-Go's then. And so, something people may not um, be aware of that are listening, but um, Go-Go, okay, the, the way D.C. It was kind of set up, you know, we never had gangs. We were sort of we had crews and clicks and that sort of Things and so go was kind of like that in a sense, too. Um, as, um, as, as it pertains to different fan bases of different bands, depending on where you live, you followed a certain band. Um, it might be because that's you know, they play somewhere close to you or what have you, but um, in my case, you know, I grew up in Upper Northwest, and the bands, you know, outside of the local bands that we went to see, um, were. Um, Rare Essence and Chuck Brown, right, because they played at the Black Hole it wasn't too far from where I live. and the Junkyard was kind of a southeast band a lot of um, people from southeast went to see Junkyard, and of course you had bands like Northeast Groovers, but I say that because uh, I literally, growing up I've been going to Golos my entire life, and was going every weekend from the time I was able to sneak out the house and do it, but I had never seen EU live until I was an adult, and in fact, it wasn't even EU then. It was they were called Maestrian and the Hip Huggers. He had um, formulated a new band for. Um, that's probably for another subject. But I guess right. what, what I'm saying, I say that to say that um, when the Butt um, uh, premiered um, on Spike Lee's movie, um, we were so we were, everybody was was really proud and we partied, But to be honest, you know, we we were still very much um entrenched in our own sort of DC culture of who who it is we were rocking
1: with. Okay, so you know this I mean? is like a funny thing like when I was in like this 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 song came out when I was like the fifth grade mm-hmm. So like all of my friends in the fifth grade that had like older and I wish my buddy George was here who works at DCPL, he would attest to this because we were in witness elementary school. but if you had like an older brother an older sister, They kind of like influence your go-go taste and i was an only child so i didn't really have anybody to influence it so i was just kind of like hanging out and i lived all the way over far northeast and i went to school in near northeast and i have friends who lived in upper northwest so i really didn't know like where's what's my band i I had no band i was like i don't know but the butt was this giant song everywhere else in the world Mm -hmm. but in washington dc if you were not a fan of eu this was like your third favorite go-go record Say that again. If you were if you, uh, the butts are like number one billboard smash around the world. Absolutely. But if you were in Washington D.C. at this time and you like two bands, where do you like? The E.U. Right. The okay. may have been it's your that, third favorite. That. Right. Absolutely.
2: But, I mean, again, I mean, we, we were still fans of and supportive of, of Sugar Band. And right. we loved them. It was just that D.C. had its own different areas that supported their different favorite bands. And, again, if you were in Southeast, it was Junkyard and it was R.E. But, you know, in um, you you know, sort of I guess probably right. Southeast by everybody. Right. Yeah, Southeast too. But again, because of where I grew up, the bands that I saw and I stuck with and by um, um was you know Rare Essence and Chuck Brown. But you know, I'm glad you brought up the, the global thing because that was also a factor. You know, the EU trouble funk did a lot of traveling during the mid to late eighties. Right. But here the in the city, was
1: breaking out right.
2: right but here in the city it was sort of We still had our same machine going, you know what I mean? So, I think um, um, Ben might have got a bit of a bad, you know, sort of situation. I know he, I talked to him about it, Sugar Bear. He said he kind of felt like when he came back from touring, um, same for Big Tony for Trouble Funk, they didn't necessarily feel like they got the love in the city that they wanted um, on a a regular circuit. Right, right. um, Because that's where the bread and butter is, to be honest, you know what I'm saying? Um, But. Um, yeah, he was—he was, he's, he's, hes he was a staple and icon then. He is now, but um, yeah, it was—it was—it was, uh, it was it was wild to see our music being played on a national stage. Something that we, you know, um, been partying
1: to. So, Nico, I had a question for you. I want to talk to you about the the industry that GoGo had become in the city at this point where you could be a band from Washington, D.C. and play gigs and do well and be able to live and be a gigging musician for the most part?
3: Well, I wish you didn't ask that question because I kind of want to piggyback. of. Okay, off, well, w- start w- there and then go back. You, okay, cool. You do what you do, man. Yeah, because what Michelle said as far as the band's touring and everything, at that particular time when the Buck came out, uh, I was in the military and I was in California, and uh, that was... It actually, uh, when Marcus Miller wrote that, and, and the butt was kind of like, uh, uh, you know, a big movie craze thing. I was I was in Victorville, California in the Air Force, so it was me around a bunch of cats, you know, that was checking it out and was trying to understand the DC culture from there. So when I came home uh, on a um, medical leave uh, to see my grandmother at that time, EU was was gigging. And uh, this is right before, uh, uh, well, it was after the, movie, after the song came out. And they was doing good, but what was crazy that time is these brothers ran the city. <laughs> <laughs> That's the point I was trying <laughs> to These, these brothers, <laughs> as big as that song was, Red Essence ran the city. That was around the time when Fat Rodney was doing his thing. And, um, you know, so when EU went out on tour, I just so happened to see him in, when I was in Japan. So this was in 89. And so when I was in Japan, and I was sitting back, and I was rapping to the brothers, they was talking about other than bear, other than bear, they was talking about real essence. And um, I mean, I'm not just saying that, just to be saying that that's how it was at that time. And it was crazy because I was starving for go-go at the time. Cause I was like, you know, uh, I got hit up for my little go-go tapes at the time. When I came home to see my grandmother, my cousin stole my tapes. My father threw out my boombox, and you know, everybody was, you know, they were just hating on me at the time. So when uh, Gene, he was, uh, he was actually the Congo player. He, he was filled in for Foxy, uh, uh, Foxy Rob at the time uh, when he was on tour. Uh, he had some go-go tapes with him. And he was selling them to me. And I was buying them using Japanese currency. And he said, well, you know, you can get this for a 1,000 yen. You can get, you can get that. But this right here is rare essence. This is 5,000 yen. <laughs> 5,000 yen at that time was $35 for a go-go tape, which is astronomical. <laughs> Well, he got that five thousand dollars. I mean, five thousand yen, because I mean, it was just I needed that. I needed that because I was really, really starving. I mean, when I first went in, you know, the service W O L was doing their thing. Conan and 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 uh, C J, who I'm still in contact with. Uh, That's my man. Uh, but you know, they they was the big thing.
1: You know, and. and that was what really inspired. Can quickly explain WOL to people that aren't aware, because this is another thing about DC that, like, we could only probably do in DC.
3: Well, WOL was a station right down the street on on, on H Street. I believe it was eighth eighth and eighth, somewhere around there. It was eighth eighth Street? Fourth? Okay. All right. Well, I remember so it was down, down on H street. street.
1: If you live in Northeast tomorrow, and, like actually see what's there now, and then hear about what's right. there then.
3: Right. Because I I came up on twenty fourth and H. You know, so, uh, right, they used to call it Vietnam back in the day. Yeah, so um, that's a whole another story for another day. <laughs> but, it's adjacent to this one, right? Yeah, yeah, so, um, but, you yeah, know, Conan and, and, and CJ was my inspiration, actually, when I came back, you know, and, and, and when I got into radio, I always remember how they actually kept Go Go Live for me, because I used to have tapes, they used to send me tapes of their, you know, of their shows, you know, when I was in California. And before then, we used to be down in Haynes Point listening to them, you know, just hanging out and listening to their show. So it was, um, but the butt, you know, for for around the world for there to be only two gold songs to make number one in, in, in the history of, of uh, our genre, Bustin' Loose and The Butt, you know, but here, it just, you know, as Michelle was alluding to, it didn't resonate the same here because for whatever reason, we just felt like that was the true go-go. As as, as his backyard, a lot of people look at backyard as that's that that's the inner city feel. So they didn't look at the butt as that type of song that that DC felt, you know, but You know, as Andre as also alluded to, it was it was um, it was great for not only the industry but for for the genre of music.
1: Right. So I mean, I want to finish this up by talking about like for all of you, like what it is for go go at this point to be this like thing where you could actually be a musician in D.C. and list on your tax return that you were a musician in D.C. playing go go music.
4: Yeah. um, Well, back. During those days, we were playing six nights a week. Six nights a week? Yeah. Yes. So, um, and in different parts of the city. That's yes. right. Because there was so many venues out there that would allow you to come. How many
1: venues are there now to play go-go in Washington, D.C.? Maybe. A handful. <laughs> somewhere between five and ten. Talk about how much people had to pay to get in these
4: go-gos. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, James. Uh, well, I appreciate you, man. Uh, so back in that day, uh, go go was probably ten dollars, twelve dollars, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, before we're, we're then, talking about AA. before AA. then, yeah. Uh, you could come to the Coliseum, Washington Coliseum, and see about six bands for six dollars. That's Washington right.
1: Coliseum located where, so that people who are new to the city since the year two thousand will know.
4: Is it Third and M Street? Yeah.
1: No, Third M Street. It's, the yeah. so,
4: it's 5, Where the REI
1: is? Listen, Where that big REI is?
3: Yes, outlet now. Yeah. yeah,
1: you can see you six Google bands for six dollars. Oh, about twenty-five years ago. Entirely possible.
4: Yeah, yeah. So um, we were we were fortunate enough to be able to play all around town, different parts: these uh, uh, uh northwest, southeast, southwest, northeast. So we set ourselves up like that to be able to report the money that we were making. At that time, we were the band, we were the promoter, we were the advertiser, we did everything in-house. We owned equipment, all of that. So we would just come in and rent the club, or they would give us the club, and they kept the bar, and
1: we would do our thing. Right, so G, I didn't want to cut you off, but uh, what's up?
0: Oh no, I wanted to comment on what we were talking about Yeah, no no problem, no problem, jump in What the butt meant to D.C., you know, good and bad I'd say, once again, another song where I was quite young But I remember just how big it was at the time I was going to a private school, a Christian private school at that time And um, I remember getting in trouble, me and my classmates We would get in trouble when um, we would sing a song like Kumo D's Wild Wild West But when the butt butt came out, just because I guess it was so popular everywhere. Our teachers didn't give us a hard time. They let us sing the butt in a Christian school.
1: Right. You know what I mean? The butt. So Sister Patricia got a big old butt. Sister percent. Sister Patricia got a big old
5: butt. Every, oh, there
0: you go. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you right? no, know who was? <laughs> yeah. I just said, we just had some maybe some younger teachers who right. you know were hip. They were hip. You right. know, but even just looking at like, what I like to call black people cookout music. Yeah. The butt. Ranks in there as far as DC goes, songs you're gonna hear at a black person's cookout in DC, you know, with you know what they got now the wobble and uh, 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 anything, anything Frankie Beverly and Maze, you know, all of that, you know, right. just because of how successful that song was. The All the Fly Kids show was powered by Fairground Creative Media and is recorded at the Innovator Studio inside Impact Hub, located in the Penn Quarter section of downtown DC. Engineered by Backpack Matt and Ryan Gordon and produced by Geronimo Knows, me. You can subscribe to and listen to this podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, MixCloud,
4: and Spreaker. Tell a friend and pay it forward.